Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, uh, grab your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter's a, a small little book towards the back of your Bible. That's where we'll be this morning. Uh, happy Mother's Day to you moms in the room. I speak for the whole room to say how thankful we are for you and for all that you do and pour out on behalf of all the families represented here. And so uh, we are thankful and happy Mother's Day to you. Um, a, a question to start us, how, how will the watching world know that this group right here in this room are followers of Jesus. Oh, come on. By our love. Uh, Jesus tells us the primary way the watching world knows that we are a faith family following after Jesus is by our love. He says in John 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so uh, throughout this series, uh, we're calling the 4W Life, we're, we're, we're really uh, praying a simple prayer. Lord, give us, give us a wholehearted love for you and for people. It's a very simple prayer. I'd encourage you to just keep praying that prayer. Give us a wholehearted love for you and for people. And uh, we've covered that uh, what we believe a disciple of Jesus looks like is someone who worships Christ and walks with Christ and works for Christ and witnesses for Christ. And we've already talked about what we mean when we, when we say worship and walk. And it's really, and, and, and I don't want to segment the W's or silo the W's too much because all of these W's, they overflow their banks and kind of run into each other and they feed each other. But when we think about worshiping and walking, we're thinking of, of, of stoking the fire of that love for God. Uh, growing in our worship for him, growing in our understanding of what it means to follow hard after God, stoking the fire of our love for God. It's, it's how we abide that we talked about last week. It's how we abide in him, how we rest in him, how we let his life flow through us. And it really fuels now uh, what we're going to talk about uh, this week and next week, our work and our witness for him. When we think of our work and our witness, we're thinking primarily, how do we love people? How do we fulfill this great commandment aspect of loving God and loving people? And, and it's really the worship and walk that fuel our work and our witness and how we obey and how we go about doing this. And so um, it's important that I define what we mean when we talk about work. Work is the stewardship of all God has given me to lovingly and sacrificially serve the body of Christ. When we talk about working for Christ here, this is what we're talking about. And you're like, well, what? Shouldn't we be serving the lost? Yeah, that comes next week in our conversation of what it means to live as witnesses of Jesus Christ. But when we talk about work, we're talking about the stewardship, and that's a really important word. The stewardship of all God has given me to lovingly and sacrificially serve the body of Christ. Christ. Throughout Scripture, we see it's, it's like a high priority on God's heart for how the body serves each other, how we live out serving and loving one another. And we want to look at that in detail today. And so in 1 Peter, we, have, uh, we come to this little paragraph in chapter 4. And in, in this paragraph, there are three successive one another's, uh, back to back to back one another's. And, and I want to unpack these uh, for us today in hopes of it shaping the way that we go about living out this work W of sacrificially serving and loving one another. And so let me pray and let's dive right into it. Father, thank you uh, for the privilege that we get to gather 
Lord, thank you for the privilege that we get to sit under the authority of your word. Father, we ask now that as we walk through it, as we unpack it, as we meditate on it, and as we feed our souls from it, Lord, would you speak to us so clearly? Would we understand your word rightly? Would your spirit apply it to our hearts? And would we walk out changed in some manner? God, we ask you that in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the book of 1 Peter, we walked through the whole book about this time last year, and I like what Edmund Clowney has to say about 1 Peter as a whole. He says, Peter's writing a traveler's guide for Christian pilgrims. Uh, these believers are going through a very, very hard time for their faith, and Peter's encouraging them, and he keeps encouraging them, get your eyes up, uh, get your eyes up, understand that this is not your final home. You are exiles, you are pilgrims walking through here, and he gives them some, uh, some tangible instructions of thinking about this, living like this in 1 Peter f- chapter 4, verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore... Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. A lot, a, lot a lot of good stuff to unpack there. I'm going to leave that for another day. I want to get to verse 8. Verse 8, above all, keep, what's the word? Above all, keep what? Keep loving one another. How are we to love one another? Above all. What does above all mean? Above all. Above all, do this. Do what, Peter? Keep loving one another. And then he doesn't just leave it there. He wants to emphasize. He wants to talk about how are we to love one another. Keep loving one another earnestly. And so a first point I want you to write down based on a verse 8 is this. Our work for Christ, how we go about serving and loving each other, our work for Christ is shaped by persevering. And that's an important word. Persevering in earnest love for one another. Persevering in earnest love for one another. Let me unpack that in its parts. Verse 8 tells us to keep loving. It can be, um, it can be hard enough at times to love in the way the Bible unpacks love, and we'll talk about that. It can be very hard to keep loving, to persevere in love. If we're going to covenant together as a faith family, we need to covenant together in how we go about persevering in this kind of love for one another. Because it can be easy to love when we're kind of in a honeymoon stage or you're new to the church or whatever, and then it can grow increasingly difficult when that one person says that one thing. And you're like, I'm out of here or I'm out of this discipleship group. There, I, I love that Peter's command is to keep, to persevere, to keep loving one another. And, and, and this love for one another is an earnest love. It means it's an authentic love, a genuine love. It's a real love. It's, it's a love from the guts. We say that around our house, love your guts. It's a love from the guts. It's a real, authentic, earnest love. And, and if for further study, just make note of this. I'm not going to go there. But if, if we want an understanding of what, what does earnest love look like, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Don't do it right now. Do it this week. And just walk through it. Just walk through it slowly. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. Uh, Walk through that. Uh, Turn to the book of 1 John this week 
And look at what John has to write about how we who have, who have drank deeply of the love that Christ has shown us, what does that look like? What's that supposed to look like translated out to how we love one another? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 John, do some study on that this week to unpack what is real, authentic, genuine, earnest love look like amongst us. Now, when we live that out, when we really have a genuine, authentic, earnest love for one another, there's amazing ripple effects of that. What are they? Look at what it says as we keep reading in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love, what does love do? Love covers what? Love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? That if we have a love from the guts kind of love for each other, we can persevere as a covenant family overlooking a lot of those little like just short snappy words that we can speak to each other. Overlooking those times we felt a bit slighted. Overlooking those times that a couple people in the discipleship group or a couple people that you hang out with, they got together and you didn't get an invite. Love can cover those things. When we have this earnest, genuine love for one another, we won't be the backbiting church arguing about, excuse me, dumb things. Like colors of the walls or colors of the carpet. I mean, right? We've all heard the stories of some stuff churches have gotten to fights about. And, and here's the thing. When, when you find a covenant faith family fighting about dumb things, the issue isn't the dumb thing at hand. It's the fact that they've lost earnest love for each other a whole long time before that. Now, let me just stop right there and say, like, is, is he in a passive-aggressive? Did someone say something about the carpet color? No, like... I, I mean this with all genuineness I can. I love this church because this church doesn't get sidetracked on petty stuff. I love you all. Like we, we never have to field petty argument stuff because you all's focus is on a love for Jesus and on the mission that he left us with. And so don't hear that as me trying to address something from, from a passive aggressive way at all. I'm just saying if we don't fuel this kind of earnest love, that's where we could be. And y'all, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be sitting in a room fighting over petty stuff. I want to be fueled by an earnest, genuine, gut-level love for one another, that, that kind of love that can cover a multitude of sins. So when someone says something a bit short or we feel slighted a bit, we're like, love, love can cover that. Uh, Erica and I, and I asked her if I could share this, we have an understanding after almost 11 years of marriage. There are a couple instances we never have to call like a conflict resolution meeting about, okay? And here are the instances. If I'm a bit tired and she's a bit hungry. <laughs> so early on in our marriage, I might be a bit tired. All I really need is just a 15-minute power nap, and, and she says something, I say something a little bitey back. We'd be like, oh, no, what, what's wrong? What's going on? Or, or like she'd say something a bit short with me, and, and I'd be like, oh, what is it? now we're just like, hey, babe, you hungry? <laughs> yeah, I'm hungry. Okay, good. We're good. No conflict. Love covers that. Get the girl a Snickers, right? We're good. 
Or I'll be, you know, just last night I got into a wrestling match with the sour cream that kept falling out of the, the refrigerator on me and I'm stuffing it back in. She, she didn't even say anything. She's not like, what's going on with it? She's like, he's tired. He needs to go to bed. Okay. <laughs> Love covers a multitude of sins. Like when we have an earnest gut level love for one another, uh, there's so many of these little things that can be overlooked. Now, time out. Let me say this. This doesn't mean we become a church that doesn't address issues. We don't, we don't just, I, love covers that. No, there's some things that rise to the level of like, hey, we probably got to sit down and have a hard conversation. Why? Because we love each other. Like this is an ongoing pattern. Or, or there's something we see scripturally where like, I have to address you. I have to, we have to get face to face. I have to lovingly call you out on the sin or you have to lovingly call me out on this sin. But in some of this other stuff, this, this pettiness, love covers those things. Now, um, We've said work is this, and I want you to see it again. Work is the stewardship of all God has given me to lovingly and sacrificially serve the body of Christ. I'm saying the, the first one another that will shape that kind of culture is that we have an earnest love for each other. Now, that word stewardship, it, it, often when we think about stewardship, we think about our time, our talents, our treasure is how you've probably often heard that. I'm, I want to talk about what does it look like for us to, to use our time in earnest love for one another? Uh, one of our uh, elders' wives, for years, uh, drove about an hour every single week to sit with a, a lady who was in her upper 90s and then uh, made it to over 100. Uh, this lady did not have a family. And one of our elders' wives would just drive week after week after week, and she would sit, and she would love, and she'd read the scriptures, and she would uh, worship with this dear uh, saint who loved Jesus Christ. That's what earnest kind of love looks like. It looks like hopping in the car, driving over an hour, week after week after week after week after week after week after week. Earnest love looks like us gathering as discipleship groups, even when we don't feel like it. I don't feel like going there, but there's something that happens. We need each other. We need to get in the same room. Earnest love, let me tell you this, very practically, looks like the setup leads who show up here way before the sun rises every single week and turn a middle school into a church that can house this amount of people. They don't do that because they're like, you know what I want to do today? I want to go stand in the rain and put the signs out by the, by the, by the road. They do that because they're compelled by love. How thankful are we for them? Yeah? <laughs> set, up, set up leads. Your days are numbered, okay? <laughs> like, there will be a day you're like, I just turned off the lights. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. How about our kids and student workers? who just show up faithfully week after week after week. We were having a dinner at a family from church's house, I think last week, and just hearing about he with his student ministry small group, and they're all hanging out at his house, giving up a Friday or Saturday night or whatever that looked like. And, 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 and it's not like he's giving it up. He loves it, loves pouring into them. This is what earnest kind of love looks like, where we, where we set aside time to pour into people. Uh, we set aside treasure, some of what God has entrusted to us to love people well. That when we see a need, we're able, because we've, uh, we've left margin in our bank account to meet the needs, to step up, 
and to help people. I was struck by this in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, you, you have this section where it's like, stop doing this, start doing this. This is what a life now transformed by Christ looks like. Look at what it says here. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? Why should he do honest work with his own sins? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Come on. What if we began to see, like, what if my paycheck isn't only to put food on the table and roof over the head? What if it's so that I have something to share with anyone in need? And so then we began to, like, get our antenna up a bit as we gather and as we're in discipleship groups and as we're meeting on a Sunday so that when we hear of needs, it's not just like, oh, Lord, I pray that you would meet that. And then the Holy Spirit goes, hey, 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 I have an answer to that prayer. Get your checkbook out. If anyone even writes checks anymore, right? Like... Meet the need. This is what kind of earnest love very practically looks like. Now, hot on the heels of this one another, we come to the next one. And this next one is potent. And I'm excited and it's powerful. Look at what it says in verse uh, 9. Show hospitality to one another without what? Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so our work for Christ is shaped by the first thing we saw is a persevering and earnest love for one another. The second thing is uh, our work for Christ is shaped by showing a joyful hospitality for one another. Now, what is hospitality? Because I think we can have a lot of different ideas of what hospitality is. Uh, here's, here's how I'll unpack hospitality. Hospitality is an intentional generosity and care for others, okay? Now, if you're like, I don't like that, I, we can debate over like, whether that gets at it, but literally the word hospitality that we see here, it's a love of strangers. It's, it's a love for strangers. It's a welcoming in. And now, um, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, it's an opening of our homes, it's an opening of our lives, and it's doing this without grumbling. Oh, gotta have people over, again. Um, it, it, what, what this gets at, that we are to show hospitality to one another without grumbling, it, it gets at this, that hospitality happens in our hearts before it ever happens in our homes. And now I'm focusing on the home here because hospitality can happen in a lot of different places, but I think our dwelling, and I use that word intentionally, whether your home right now is a dorm room or an apartment or a house or a place you're renting, our dwelling is one of the greatest tools that God has given us in our hospitality tool belt to use. You with me? It's just one of the greatest things. And so whether, again, whether it's a dorm room or an apartment or a house or whatever, it is a tool that God has given you to intentionally uh, care for and show generosity to other people. And so how are you using that tool? How are you using that tool of hospitality to open your homes and to open your lives and loving generosity towards people? Now, uh, can, can, let's just eliminate some of our excuses we can use to not living out hospitality. You ready for this, right? Okay, ready? Yes? Yeah. Okay. Our, uh, here, here's excuse number one. Our, our home isn't really set up for hospitality. Right? Uh, Erica and I have been there. When we, when we first moved over here, uh, the goal was to find the cheapest apartment possible. And I th we 
almost, I think we accomplished it, right? I, I think we accomplished it. And so like we're starting the church, we're living, I won't say what apartments we were in, we loved it. Uh, in fact, one night in these apartment complexes, uh, someone walked through our front door. I'm, I'm laying right there, Justin Verlander was, had a no-hitter going into the ninth inning. And I'm like, Kenny, can, I'm laying right there and this person walks in the front door and goes, is this the place? And I go, I don't think so. <laughs> and he's like, oh, sorry. And he walked back out and Erica's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, he's gone. We're good. We're good. That kind of tells you where we were staying. Um, I, I didn't believe, I'm like, where is this no hitter? She's like, that's an odd question. Like, is this the, I don't, I won't get into it. But we could use this excuse. We're not really set up for hospitality. Remember something. Hospitality first happens in the heart before it happens in the home. You can use any place, and Jesus is honored by any place. A second excuse we can make is this. We, we aren't in an easy season of life to show hospitality. Again, have we said it? We had like a three-year-old, one-year-old, two new babies. It's like, come over for dinner. Your food's just flinging everywhere. Kids are running around. It doesn't feel like... At times, we're in an easy season of life to show hospitality. But can we just call out some of the fallacies here? Is there really ever an easy season of life? And isn't sometimes some of the things that minister the most to folks just inviting them into your chaos? I promise you, they leave and go, maybe we're not that crazy. <laughs> like, we were just at the Grams, and like, we're actually doing pretty well. <laughs> right? And so there just is a fact of the matter. Like, there's really never an easy season of life, and when we, invite our, when we invite people into our chaos, it ministers to them in a great way. The third excuse we can make of not using the tool God has given us to live out a life of hospitality is this. We are more keep-to-ourselves kind of people. I get it. I, by nature, am an introvert. I'm, I can be an extroverted introvert, but, it, but at the end of the day, if, if I could have my stack of books I'm reading in a chair... I, I would prefer that almost every night. Who's with me? Who's with me? All the introverts in the house, let's go. You, you won't make any sound because you're an introvert. You're like, uh. <laughs> I would just say, in order to practice hospitality, you don't have to be an extrovert. You don't have to be the life of the party. <laughs> Introvert over here is like, yes. You don't have to be the life of the party. Invite them into the rhythm of what a night looks like. A lot of times you will have an invited, you will have invited an extrovert anyways. Let them lead the charge. Just you go. I'm just going to sit here. Uh, the, the, the fourth thing, and this kind of hits on all of them, is this. We will show hospitality better when dot, dot, dot. We're out of this season of life. We move from here. We whatever. Just... We are commanded here, and it's what will create a culture in our church of where we're lovingly serving one another. We're commanded here to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
And so if we can just break down the excuses, if we can take the tool of the dwelling God has given us and and be good stewards of that, beautiful things can happen. And remember, the root of that word hospitality means love for strangers. What if if this place became a a place that as you met people on Sunday morning, you're like, do you want to come over for dinner on Thursday? You're like, that's weird. What if that's supposed to be normal amongst the body of Christ? And again, you're going to go up to the intro, hey, do you want to come over for dinner? And they're like, oh, 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 okay, yeah, I don't have anything else. This is what we hope to see, that we're not just a Sunday to Sunday family. We're a through the week family, gathering, doing life, showing hospitality to one another. Uh, Two resources I'll commend you for further reading. First one is this, Rosaria Butterfield's book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I mean, when when you read about how they open their home, it's like, whoa, using it as a tool for ministry. The second book I'd commend you is this, The Simplest Way to Change the World. Subtitle, Biblical Hospitality as a Way of Life. I'd commend those to you. And so um, if, if we live out this one another of, persevering in earnest love, if we live out this one another of showing a joyful hospitality, we will see a culture where we're working for Christ, using what God has given us to steward a love and a service for one another. And then this third, this third one another that we see in the back-to-back-to-back one another is this, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it, use it, use it, use it, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good good stewards of God's varied grace. And then he goes into some examples here. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Whoever has received a gift, and if you know Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins, and if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been indwelt by his spirit, and that spirit has given you gifts to serve for the building up of the body of Christ. And so it doesn't say here, hey, if you have a gift, would you consider? It says, no, 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 no. As each has received a gift, use it. How are we to use it? We're to use it to serve. We're to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, uh, let me go at something here. Can I go at something here? Okay. I want to go at the whole notion that's crept into our cultural understanding of church of of being a regular attender. You you hear that thrown around a lot. Hey, uh, where do you you go to church? Where do you attend church? I I attend or I go to Redeemer Bible Church. You'll hear it in uh, uh, church leadership circles. Like, how many regular attenders do you have in your church? Can I just like, can I just go after the whole notion of a regular attender? Okay, thank you. Um, The whole idea of being a regular attender of a church is not biblical in the least. You're like, well, doesn't it command us to not give up meeting together? Absolutely. We're to meet together. But the whole idea that's crept into our culture of a regular attender 
is often the same mindset that we have walking into banker's life to take in a concert or a Pacers game. I'm coming with an empty cup, and this event better fill me in some way. It better entertain me, it better inform me, it better, uh, it better uh, inspire me in some way. So here I am, I'm coming to attend. Fill me up. That is nowhere the biblical understanding of what's to happen as we gather together as the ecclesia. Sure, you're like, well, shouldn't church be filling? Absolutely. As we sing praises to God, it should stir the worship of our heart. As we open his word together, it should fuel how we walk after him. As we fellowship with one another, our cup should be growing full. But we have to understand, you also come ready to pour out what God has given you into the rest of the body. You with me? And so, if God has given all of us gifts... We use those gifts in harmony. The, the, the illustration the Bible gives that Pastor Mark will unpack in the equipping video is that of a body. That if we're not using all of our gifts, we become like a body that's hampered. And we begin to overcompensate to try to make up for some of those things. If God has called you to the local church expression of Redeemer Bible Church, you are not here to sit, soak, sour, and stink. You are here to serve with the gifts that God has given you because if you don't, we are hampered as a body. You with me? And so... We have to get this. We have to exercise our gifts. We have to exercise our gifts corporately. That's why we have serving teams. The whole idea of serving teams here isn't just because we got spots to fill and stuff to do. It is. But we need all of us on board doing that. We cannot become the church where 80% of the work happens from 20% of the people. We need 100% of the work to be happening by 100% of the people. And so we have to get there. But it's not only the using of our gifts and the heart to serve when we just gather corporately. How do you use your, your gifts between Sundays? How do you minister to your discipleship group with them? How are you intentional to go pursue other believers in the congregation between the Sundays using their gifts to build them up and to serve them? What would it look like if we all were stewarding this in a beautiful way? And so work is the stewardship of all God has given me to lovingly and sacrificially serve the body of Christ. And so come on, let's just ask some what ifs. What if we just continued to become a place shaped by an earnest love for one another? Man, I'll die for you. I'll sacrifice for you. What if we became a place increasingly so where we were showing hospitality to one another joyfully? What if we were a place where 100% of us are on board to use the gifts in serving the body that Jesus has called us to use? And so this week we want to be equipped uh, 
in a greater way to this. If, if you've not been on our Redeemer resources page, stop by there this week. Leverage all of the things that we're putting on there to equip us of this becoming a way of life, www.redeemerresources.church. And then every week we watch these equipping videos. Here's how I want you to think of these equipping videos. Think of Sunday morning as the lecture. Think of the equipping videos as the lab. And so really we just continue on in the sermon watching these videos. And so I want you to see a teaser from uh, Pastor Mark's video this week. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. When we, as a body of Christ, when we choose to sit on the sidelines and we choose to sit it out and say, I'm gonna let somebody else serve, that's not just about you. Actually, the body suffers when you're not bringing your gifts and your passions and your experiences to bear to serve the body. So we've created a resource for you that's also available on this site. And this is basically a guide to help you with what are some practical things I could do to help under different life circumstances that occur. And those specific situations that we've got on this guide right now are um, a new baby, a job loss, an illness or a hospitalization, and a death in the family. And in creating this guide, we've reached out to uh, people at Redeemer who have experienced these things. And they have given us some tips and some wisdom that says, hey, this is how my discipleship group came alongside me during this time. And these were the things that were helpful. We want people when they gather on Sunday to experience the glory of God, to get their eyes and their hearts vertical and focused on the majesty of our Lord. I sometimes like to compare our Sunday morning volunteers to a tour guide at the Grand Canyon. So a tour guide at the Grand Canyon, their job is to get the visitor to the edge of the canyon and then get out of the way so they can gaze upon the beauty and the majesty of the Grand Canyon. And so when a visitor to the Grand Canyon goes home, you want them going home thinking, man, that was, the Grand Canyon was amazing. You don't want them thinking about where did I have to park and how far did I have to walk and or even while wow, that tour guide was kind of nice. No, we want them focused on the canyon. And so when a person comes to Redeemer, we don't want them thinking about, wow, that was a great service, or the volunteer, that was super nice that greeted me at the door. We want them remembering how great our God is. Mark just crushed that illustration right there. That was so good. Uh, so here are the practices we're gonna unpack in this equipping video this week. I will actively serve as the church body gathers by joining a volunteer serve team at Redeemer. We'll talk about it this week. Second, I will intentionally look for opportunities to lovingly and sacrificially serve others in my Redeemer discipleship group, as well as others in the broader Redeemer family. Those are the things he's talking about right there. We'll give you resources. What do I do? Here's what you can do uh, in, in seeking to fulfill that. Third thing, I will know my spiritual gifts and steward them well by using them to serve others throughout the week. This is what we're going after as we watch the equipping video in your discipleship group or as a family this week so that these things just become a way of life. Our Redeemer, stand with me. I want us to sing our way out of here. And we're going to sing just a, a snippet of what we sang earlier, King of Kings, because I want us to remember something. As we serve one another, who are we ultimately serving? We're serving the King, Jesus Christ. 
That's ultimately who we are serving in the midst of this. So let me pray that God would make these things we're talking about the reality of our hearts. Father, uh, we want to be a place where we genuinely, earnestly, authentically love each other. And so, Lord, uh, we know that we don't have the power to create that in and of ourselves. And so uh, we uh, submit ourselves to the work of your spirit in our life. Would you make us a people of earnest love, of joyful hospitality, of sacrificial service to one another? God, please, you have to knit our hearts towards that. And we ask that you would. In Jesus' precious name, amen.